Chapter 2 I floated in darkness. I thrashed. My body moved slowly, pushing through something that wasn't air. I heard water sounds, felt wetness on my face, tasted salt. My hands knocked against something hard and smooth. I swung my arms and kicked my legs until I was upright, treading water. But it was a struggle. My legs wanted to float forward or back and swing me prostrate again. I reached out. There were walls all around me, and a ceiling maybe two feet above my head. I pushed and banged on it, but it didn't budge. With my fingers, I followed a crack, outlining a hatch or door. I felt around for a latch, a handle, but found nothing. I banged again. Help. I screamed. Help. I was in a deprivation tank, like the ones I'd seen on TV, only deeper. But how deep? I swam down not far, found the bottom, and I blindly felt around for a plug, drain anything. My body was so buoyant in the salty water, I had to fight hard to stay down. I broke the surface, gasping for air. Air. How much of it was in here? Was I sucking it all up? My chest pumped like a piston. Help. I pried at the crack around the hatch, until the bones in my fingers felt like they were stabbing through the skin. I dove back down, searched. Nothing. I went over every inch of the tank twice, then pounded on the hatch, gaining leverage by pushing my naked feet against the rounded walls. I did this until I could barely move. Then I floated on my back, in the dark. I still had air. Time passed, or at least I assumed it did. There was no way for me to mark it here. I tried to escape again, but all I achieved was a greater level of exhaustion. Why was I in a deprivation tank? What possible reason could there be? Was this Brad's doing? No, that was crazy. But I felt like I was going crazy. I couldn't concentrate. Thoughts zipped in and out of my head like bees. Was it the drug Warren had sprayed in my face doing this? I'd never done drugs before. I floated on my back, weightless, sightless, listening to my breathing slow. The rhythm of it put me in a sort of trance. I lost the sensation of my body. I was a mind in space. After a while, kayak brad, warren cheese danishes, all seemed insignificant. I was a presence in the moment. There was a shift in my mind, a feeling of unlocking, like I'd been traveling through a narrow hallway and was now in an open field. Then small particles materialized like sparks rising above a fire. They multiplied, spread, and illuminated the tank with a kaleidoscope of swirling and coalescing colors that shifted shades and hues, until the tank was transformed into a place I knew, a place I'd been, a place I'd made into a stop on my new tour, the bridge spanning the Eel River between the small mill towns of Rio Del and Scotia. Was this the drug? Was I hallucinating? It felt so real. The sky was thick with dark clouds. Rain pounded the pavement around me. The river was high, biblically high, wide, muddy and churning with debris. Logs, parts of houses, dead cows flowed swiftly toward and under the bridge. In front of me, in the middle of the road, fifty people knelt in a semicircle. A woman stood before them, her back to me. Then she turned around as if she'd heard something, and she walked toward me, hair pasted to her forehead by rain. Her smile had that arrogant, Mona Lisa quality, I hated. Hello young Charlie, she said. 
I'm so happy to see you. She pointed to the center of the river at a cow floating swiftly downstream. A glowing blue substance enveloped the cow and spread over the surface of the water, quickly growing to the size of a baseball field. Even at that size, it didn't reach either bank. It tinted the dark day with an eerie light. It changed shape with the roiling water and passing debris, but was stationary, unaffected by the strong current. You've summoned a Rakulak in your first whirl, the lady said. Incredible. A shame you won't be here long enough to meet her this time. Would have saved me a lot of trouble, but oh well. Goodbye for now. Can't wait to collaborate with you. I felt a soft pressure against my left hip and shoulder, and the left side of my head. The sound of rain ended. Light pooled together like paint, and for a moment the world was formless. Then colors rested from each other and slammed into place like they'd been stamped. I was in someone's bedroom now, no, too generic and uncluttered. I was in a hotel room, curled up on a small couch, warm and dry. Daylight shined through a window onto a perfectly made queen bed. The only sound in the room was the halting labored breathing of someone crying. I sat up. My whole body ached. A woman was on the floor, back against the other side of the bed, knees against her chest, face in hands, shoulders jerking up and down. Are you okay? I said, realizing too late the stupidity of my question. Do you need help? Keeping her head down and a hand up to hide her face from me, she stood, went inside the bathroom and slammed the door. There was a gash on the back of her hand that ran from the knuckles to the wrist. By the color it looked scabbed over. Who was she? Had she been kidnapped too? Was this real? It felt as real as the bridge. My keys and cell phone were on the coffee table in front of me. I snatched them up and checked the time on my phone, 11.10 a.m., December 12, 2013, almost 24 hours since Warren had held me at gunpoint and sprayed a mystery drug in my face. I hobbled to the front door, muscles groaning. It opened onto a covered walkway on the second floor with a view of the parking lot, where I spotted my bus. Whistle of Relief Across the road was a familiar gas station. The street signs were also familiar. I was in the town of Eureka, the county seat, population 25,000, a 30-minute drive south of my apartment, a 45-minute drive north of Weot. There were no notifications for missed calls or texts on my phone's home screen, but when I unlocked it, I found several from my sister, May, and my girlfriend, Naomi. I shot them both quick texts apologizing, letting them know I was okay and would call them as soon as possible. Then I dialed 911 and told the operator I'd been kidnapped. What is your name, sir? asked the man on the other end. Charlie Allison. Are you safe now? I don't know. There's a woman here now but I think she was kidnapped too. The guy might be on his way back now for all I know. His name is Warren Rochester. I'm sorry, Warren Rochester? Yes. Sir, making erroneous reports to 911 is illegal. If you do it again, you will be prosecuted. Excuse me? This isn't an erroneous report. I was drugged and kidnapped. I need help. Hello? The operator had hung up. A voice behind me, that's a waste of time. 
I turned around. The woman had come out of the bathroom. She was young, around my age. Her eyelashes were still wet with tears, her expression severe. It doesn't make sense, I said, holding up my phone like it was from another planet. Charlie Allison. I've never heard that name before. What lodge do you belong to? Lodge? I don't belong to any lodge. Were you kidnapped too? Yes. My name is Kalia Sinclair. Can you come inside and shut the door? We have to talk. No, we have to get out of here. The person that brought us here could come back any second. Persons. And they're not coming back. They've already accomplished what they've set out to do. Please just come and sit down. I'm sorry, what did they accomplish? They wanted us bonded for some reason, and now we are. Bonded? I don't even know you. Her eyes widened and her jaw dropped. You don't know what you are. I don't? She sat on the edge of the bed and stared at the wall. Arawak help us. Great. She was crazy. How was I going to get her out of here? Maybe this Arawak wants us to help ourselves. My bus is right outside. We can go straight to the police station. They'll have to listen to us then. She looked at me and her demeanor deflated, shoulders slumped, eyelids sagged. I'm not crazy, and you're not crazy either, even though you're about to think you are. Okay. Please just come with me. I don't feel right leaving you here. How far away from each other would you say we are? Ten feet? I don't. The tether's usually between a dozen and fifteen. Do me a favor and take a few steps back. But brace yourself. It's going to hurt. I didn't want to ignore her, but I wasn't going to get sucked into her craziness. I turned my back to her. Maybe I would have better luck calling the Eureka Police Department directly. While I googled their number with my phone, Kalia darted through the door past me and fast walked down the corridor toward the stairs. I threw up my hands. At least she was out of the room now. Where are you going? I called after her. When she reached the top of the stairs a thousand fires ignited inside my body, like little embers were burning throughout my feet, legs, chest, arms, eyes, and all of them were interconnected by pulsating highways of lightning. I was a furnace of agony, like nothing I'd ever experienced, like nothing I'd ever imagined possible. I felt the urge to curl up into a ball. Crouching down the pain lessened in my head but intensified in my thighs, butt, and lower back. I straightened my posture and the pain equalized. Intuitively, I tried bowing just my head and my head felt less pain. I raised an arm in front of me and that too felt less pain. I stepped forward. Less pain in my whole body. Another step. Less. Another step. Gone. All pain gone. The relief was overwhelming. I barked a laugh and tears pooled in my eyes. I breathed deeply. Then the anxiety set in. What was happening to me? Was this the first of many episodes like this? Was I sick? Was this a side effect of the drug I'd been given? 
You're okay, Kalia said, still standing at the top of the stairs. I looked behind me expecting to see a severed power line whipping around spitting sparks, but the walkway was clear. No exposed wires in the ceiling floor or walls. Was I having a stroke? I walked forward tentatively at first, then faster. I'm going to the hospital, I said to Kalia, who hadn't moved. Something's wrong with me. You should come with me, or at least get away from here. The hospital, the police, these people can't help you. Please, let's go back to the room. We need to talk. We can talk on the way, I said as I descended the stairs. When I lowered my foot off the bottom step, the pain returned, but only in that foot, like I'd stepped into a pit of fire and electricity, like the parking lot was coated in invisible lava. I pulled my foot back and tried stepping down with the other. Same result. Was I marooned here in this hotel? I had to call an ambulance. The cost would potentially bankrupt me, but I didn't see any other way. Look at me Charlie, Kalia said from the top of the stairs. Please note the distance between us right now. For the next two days, we shouldn't be farther apart than this. We can take that pain in small doses, but trust me, it becomes intolerable quickly. Are you doing this to me? Maybe she had some kind of remote-controlled taser. She held up her hands and stepped back, wincing. The pain burst through me again, and I stumbled up a step to gain relief. I can take this pain better than you. Come back in the room, and I'll explain everything. I'm not talking out here. She stepped toward the room. Pain. I leapt two steps, okay? Stop. She watched me come to her. Her eyes were intense. I had trouble meeting them. But I was just as curious of her as she appeared to be of me. Who was she? How and why was she doing this? The sound of car doors slamming turned my attention to the parking lot, where a man and a woman approached, glaring up at Kalia. I told you we should have left, I said. These aren't our kidnappers, Kalia said. They're the cavalry. Kalia Sinclair, the woman said in a deep, authoritative voice that sounded familiar. You are accused of murdering your Shaka, Diane Salazar, and the prime nabob, Sandra Lesnick. You will accompany us to the lodge, where you will be judged. Are you kidding? Kalia said. Do I look insane to you? Have you ever seen someone whose cackle is haunted? Trust me, they cannot form complete sentences. A warrel exists in which you are clearly identified committing the abominable acts. That's impossible. The man and woman stood ten feet away now, and I could see their faces clearly. The woman looked familiar. Where did I know her from? This doesn't sound like a cavalry to me, I said, but Kalia didn't take her eyes off the woman. How'd you know to find me here? Kalia said. I am not incapable, the woman said. I was a marshal once. And much better at it than you. You couldn't even catch Eric Olson. She put a snide emphasis on the last word. Nancy, you know me. You know I didn't do this. Nancy. That was where I recognized her from. She'd been my therapist when I was a kid, one of three people who knew the details behind my unique relationship with cheese danishes. 
Now I had two dots connected, like the most unimaginative constellation ever proposed. The sky was full of questions, and all I could make out was a stick. Hey! I shouted to Nancy, interrupting. What's going on? What's this all about? Nancy didn't acknowledge me, wouldn't even look in my direction. I'd been about to turn 12 the last time I'd seen her at our sixth and final therapy session. I couldn't remember anything we'd discussed during those sessions other than my cheese Danish problem. And even that was a little fuzzy. She'd always had candy for me and a kind smile. I remembered that. But now her face looked pinched mean. I've been doused and detained for the last two days by the marshals of the Mendocino Lodge, Kalia said. Oren Rochester and Caroline Granger. I have reason to believe they were working with someone from our lodge. Until I find out who that is, I won't submit to anyone, not even you, Nancy. Nancy scowled and shouted, I call that bold talk for a shockless woman. The man, without prompting, began singing an off-key version of I Will Always Love You at the top of his lungs. He's grafting, Kalia said. Come on. She grabbed my hand, led me into the hotel room, and slammed and locked the door. She stripped down to her bra, taking off her sweater and undershirt. She stuffed the undershirt in the ice bucket, then put the sweater back on. In the bathroom sink she ran water over her shirt, turned to me and said, This is one of the ways I hide bloom. I know you don't know what that is, but you might as well start learning now. She wrung the shirt out in the bucket, producing about a cup of dark liquid. If you don't have water handy, you can always just chew on the shirt for about a minute to get a dose. She lifted the ice bucket to her mouth and gulped. There was a loud thud at the door, and the handle jiggled. The man on the other side screamed saying, Benny and the Jets. I didn't know what to be most concerned with, the man outside singing joyless a cappella, or the woman inside drinking sweater juice. What is happening right now? I said more to the universe than to Kalia. Is this real? Everything is real, Charlie. This room is about to look very different. Knowing Nancy, we'll be on the streets of Chicago. Just stay calm. I've got a few tricks. We'll get out of here. She stepped onto the bed and stood above me. Come up here. Hurry. From outside came the chorus of the Elton John hit over and over. The door walls and floor began changing colors. Kalia held out her hand, hurry. I hopped onto the bed and stood beside her as everything disappeared, replaced by a city in winter. The bed beneath me was gone, and I was hovering above a salted sidewalk. Snow was piled against the base of skyscrapers that loomed over both sides of the street, a channel of grey sky running between them. The air was ice on my skin. The sidewalk teemed with pedestrians in heavy coats, their white breath combining to make a kind of paltry fog. Though their heads were at the height of my stomach, they kept bumping into me, as if they couldn't see me. Ahead, Nancy and the Rage Singer walked toward us, passing through the pedestrians as if the pedestrians were ghosts. My feet tingled, and I began slowly sinking. From behind me Kalia wrapped her arms around my waist and lifted me with surprising strength. Hold on just a little longer, she said. And there. In a blink, the snowy city turned into wetlands on a humid bright blue day. The heavy air tugged at my clothes, and my skin was sticky. 
A swarm of mosquitoes surrounded us, but they didn't bite. Kalia let go of my waist, and I planted firmly on the ground, no more floating, no more sinking. Just feet away, Nancy and the man popped up to the new ground level, into the cloud of mosquitoes. They cried out and flailed their arms as if the mosquitoes were biting them. Fifteen yards behind them, an armadillo the size of a VW bug grazed on a large patch of gnarled brush. It had a snub nose and a tail with a spiked ball on the end. Charlie stepped down. Kalia was to my left now, and she looked like she'd been buried up to her waist. She held out her hand. This is how we get out of here. There was mooing above my head. A cow like I'd seen in the river was falling from the sky. Again the cow turned into glowing blue foam, as it had instantly been decomposed with radioactive mold. The substance grew in the sky above us, into a giant floating pool, identical to the one I'd seen in the Eel River. Jesus, Kalia said. Hurry. I stepped down through the grassy ground like it was water. A tingle ran up my leg. When the ground was above my knee, my foot landed on something solid. We have to crawl. Kalia pitched forward, disappearing. When I got on my hands and knees, I sunk back into the hotel room, and I was on the carpet beside the queen bed. Kalia crawled for the door, and I followed. Nancy and the man floated above us at bed level, as if on an invisible platform, swatting at mosquitoes I could no longer see. What are you doing, George? Nancy yelled. Concentrate. Outside I started to get up, and my head popped back into the wetlands, under the monstrous armadillo. I ducked down just avoiding being kicked, and I crawled after Kalia to the stairs. After crouch walking down six steps she stood, and I warily did the same. This time I stayed in this reality. I assumed we were physically under the armadillo one now. I pointed out my bus, and we ran to it. I plopped into the driver's seat, and Kalia sat behind me on my right side. I pulled out of the parking lot and turned south, too bewildered to formulate a destination, just knowing that I had to get away from that hotel and those people. I've never projected a world that old before, Kalia said, eyes a little wild. And I've definitely never seen a Rakulak summoned. Who are you? Who am I? Who are you? This is insane. I feel like I'm losing my mind. Through the rearview mirror, I saw Kalia's eyes close and her body list to one side before falling against the window. I veered off the road, parked and went to her. Kalia. Are you okay? I put two fingers on her neck to check her pulse. My fingertips felt good where they touched her skin, like muscles stretching after a long nap. Startled, I pulled away. She opened her eyes. What's going on? You passed out. Oh. Okay. I'll be fine. Just keep driving. Keep driving? Where? What just happened back there? I'll explain everything on the way. You know where Kmart is? I studied her face a moment, but found no indication she was joking. Why, you have some errands to run? I just saw a giant armadillo back there. Did you see that giant armadillo? Her eyes lit up. Wasn't it amazing? I'm not an expert, but I'd say that animal went extinct around the Ice Age.
Are we on acid right now? Kalia laughed. Her smile was beautiful. Have you ever done acid? No. I don't do drugs. Well, if you ever had, you'd know that you're not on any drugs right now. What about a parasite, like those zombie ants? Have you heard of them? You don't have a parasite. Not yet, anyway. Not yet? There's so much you don't know, and we don't have the time to go through it all right now, so I'll give you the quick version. 200,000 years ago, there were several species of humans. Some of them were magical. As a whole, they were called Gerlachentin, which roughly translates to mind warpers. And like all human species, they were violent. With so much power and so little history to guide them, they just about destroyed each other. What was left of them interbred with what we call modern humans. I'm sure you've heard that some people have a little Neanderthal DNA. Well, some people like me and you have a little DNA from those ancient magical humans. Magical humans? Are you serious? Hey, you asked me, smart guy. And that's the answer, whether you like it or not. This isn't wizards shooting lightning out of sticks. The DNA has been watered down over the years. The magic is more mental. We call it cackle. You've heard of pheromones, right? Chemicals the body produces that can alter consciousness? That's what cackle is, only magical, basically magical pheromones. Well, a little more than that, but we can get into the details later. Right now we need to get to Kmart. I nodded. Magical pheromones. Okay. Are you saying that's the reason it hurts so bad when we get far apart from each other? Yes, because we're bonded. We're the stewards of each other's cackle now. The DNA of our particular magical species expresses itself in different ways. Your way is Shaka. Mine is Shanika. You can ride the ghost. I can throw the ghost. But we don't need to get into that right now. The point is when a Shaka, she pointed to me, then to herself. And a Shanika are close to one another, and they are untethered, and in full season, as was the case with both of us today, their cackle will bond automatically. Warren and Caroline and whoever else they're working with murdered my previous bond, so I'd be open to receive you. And they put you through the untethering ritual, so you'd be open to receive me. They wanted us bonded for some reason. What is full season? It's when your cackle is spreading uncontrollably, and you're lost in the thoughts and memories your ancestors imprinted on that cackle. It happens when you take bloom or are away from your bond for too long. Be positiveful. Be positiveful. This was crazy, but negativity wasn't going to help my situation. I believed what was happening to me was real. I could believe drugs weren't responsible because everything I'd ever heard about them didn't quite match up to this experience. But I had a lot of trouble believing this was due to some magical pheromones. So how long does this bond last? For life. What? I have to be within 12 feet of you the rest of my life. No, that only lasts about two days. After that, we can be as far apart as we like, as long as we come together again every two weeks or so. But don't worry. I have a plan. 
I don't want to be bonded to a stranger the rest of my life any more than you do. That's why we need to get to Kmart. Right. Kmart again. No offense but I'd rather go to a doctor and get a second opinion than go to Kmart right now. Cackle, magical pheromones, these aren't exactly scientific terms. She puffed out her cheeks then exhaled slowly. It'll be a waste of time, but I understand if you want to get an MRI, CAT scan, blood work, all that. You should probably start making appointments as soon as possible though. I think there's only one MRI machine in the county. MRI, CAT scan, blood work, the words were like blows to my stomach. I couldn't afford any of those tests. I didn't have insurance. The tests would bankrupt me. But did I have a choice? I couldn't just accept the wild diagnosis of this woman I'd just met. How about we make a deal, Kalia said. We both agree we're stuck with each other for now, right? So why don't we take turns? We go somewhere I want, then we go somewhere you want, and so on. Is that fair? Nancy had accused Kalia of murder. If that was true, and I accompanied Kalia wherever she wanted to go, I could be charged as an accomplice. What if the reason she wanted to go to Kmart was to buy lye and shovels? But then, I couldn't trust anything Nancy said. Her showing up at the hotel like that, my childhood therapist I hadn't seen in 12 years, one of only three people who knew about my unique condition, left no doubt in my mind that she was the one who'd hired Warren to force me to eat a cheese danish at gunpoint. But why? Why would she do that? You seem to know Nancy, I said. Why do you think she had us kidnapped? I can't know for sure she's involved at all yet. I'm being framed for some reason. Nancy could just be doing her job, trying to take me in. She's definitely involved. She was my childhood therapist. What? The man who took me, Warren, he tormented me in a very personal way. I don't want to go into detail, but Nancy is one of the only people who know just how tormenting that was for me. Kalia straightened her posture and swiveled her head, looking out the windows in all directions. That changes everything. We have to get off this bus right now and find a new ride. No. I'm not just abandoning my bus on some random street. This is my livelihood. You don't understand. Nancy was the vice nabob, which means she's the prime nabob now that Sandra's dead. She has the full power of the lodge behind her. We have to go into hiding if we're going to have any chance at fighting this. I think you have me confused with someone who knows what a nabob is. Flashing red lights reflected off the walls, and a short burst of a siren sounded as a Eureka police car jerked to a stop behind the bus. A man and woman in black police uniforms stepped out of the car. They looked calm, confident, like they were going to lunch. Come on out, Kalia, the woman said. Bring the new guy too. Let's get this over with. Kalia whispered to me, call a cab. Tell them to pick us up at the candy shop around the corner. Why? I want to talk to them. I pulled the door release and walked down the steps. Charlie, wait. On the sidewalk, the policeman and woman turned to me. The woman put her hands on her hips, and the man began snapping his fingers in rhythm. I was kidnapped by a man named Warren Rochester. 
I just escaped. I want to make a report. Kalia shouted to the police from inside the bus, You know I'd never kill Diane. I'm being framed. Let me go so I can find the real killer. The policewoman walked up to Kalia's window. I'm just following orders. If you're innocent, you should have nothing to worry about. Of course I'm innocent. Do I look cackle-haunted to you? No, but that's for the prime nabob to decide. The police knew about cackle and nabobs. Had everyone lost their mind? The policeman was singing bass lines now, like he was in a doo-wop group. Out of all the disturbing things I'd experienced in the last 24 hours, two men in a row, angrily singing at me, might have been the most disturbing. Kalia stood and walked to the bus door without taking her eyes off the policewoman, who said, I know that look, Kalia. Don't try it. You couldn't beat me when Diane was alive. You definitely won't beat me now. As Kalia stepped outside, the policeman and woman spontaneously tripped and fell, as if they were trying to make an audience of children laugh. Then they rolled on their stomachs and moved their arms and legs in a swimming motion, boots knocking against the concrete as they kicked. They looked over their shoulders with terror in their eyes, as if they were fleeing a crocodile. Whatever it was they were afraid of, I couldn't see it. It was a reality just for them. Let's go, Kalia said, walking off. The cab's on the way. I matched my gait with hers. Did you do that? They didn't know how powerful you cackle is. They won't make that mistake again. I didn't really understand what cackle was or quite believe in it yet, but hearing Kalia call it powerful somehow made me swell with pride. Of course my cackle was powerful. Why wouldn't it be? If I pass out again, Kalia said, voice faint, make sure we get to Kmart. Okay. Don't take me to the hospital. I'll recover on my own. Trust me. Okay. She wrapped her arm around mine and leaned against me as we walked.